Welcome to our podcast series of Coffee with Accord, where we discuss various peace and security related topics, including ongoing and emerging conflicts in Africa, policy developments, evolving theories, and innovative approaches to peace and security. Our guests are conflict resolution practitioners, experienced mediators, and policymakers within the peace and security landscape. Enjoy this episode and feel free to leave your comments. And a warm welcome to Coffee with Accord. My name is Zoe Mafoko and I am your host for today. In today's segment of Coffee with Accord, we're talking Genesis, the making and becoming of a peacemaker. 2021 marks 30 years since the beginning of the Codesa peace talks, which paved the way to South Africa's transition from an apartheid state into a democratic society. The run-up to these peace negotiations were no walk in the park and are remembered for the mass protests which ensured the country became ungovernable as the majority mobilized to create an unstoppable anti-apartheid resistance movement. Pushback from the apartheid state agencies on the movement resulted in the banning of multiple political organizations and the catapulting of student activists to the forefront of the anti-apartheid movement. Students organized in a democratic manner, creating a truly consultative and well-disciplined political environment, resulting in fertile ground for social activism and protest against the apartheid system. Over 30 years later, in the context of a democratic South Africa, we have seen a resurgence of student protests resulting in ongoing violence between the police and students and a public dissection of the failures of the South African education system. Today's guest is a product of anti-apartheid student activism and a democratic success story who can speak not just to the current climate of student activism, but also tell us his story of becoming a peacemaker. But before we get into this introduction, I am in need of a coffee refill, and so please do feel free to get yourself one while we play you this insert, um, which will give you more insight into apartheid South Africa as a state in crisis. Stay with us. In 1948, the National Party came to power in South Africa and began implementing their policy of separate development of the races, or apartheid, which favored the rights and welfare of the minority white South Africans over those of the majority black South Africans. The apartheid policies sparked widespread opposition across all sectors of society with people calling for equality and freedom. The 1970s and 80s were a watershed moment for the youth politics and student activism in South Africa, as many political freedom fighters from the 1960s were either living in exile or were in prison. Students organized to form student movements such as the South African Student Organization, or SASO, and the South African National Student Congress, also known as SANSCO, amongst many others. In 1977, the South African Student Organization, or SASO, was banned by the apartheid government, making any organization or association with the SASO illegal. The apartheid government was keen to avoid a repeat of the June 1976 protests and thus set about creating repressive environments in secondary schools and black universities in a bid to quash student opposition. However, student movements were still proving to be effective. In the 1980s, there was schools boycott across black townships and protests and riots took place in a number of cities across the country. Sansco also launched a campaign calling for one man, one vote and student movements were successful in engaging a large section of society. Student protests were often met with a strong response from the apartheid government, 
with a number of people losing their lives as a result due to the apartheid police. Due to the political violence taking place, 575 young people lost their lives, while a further 25,000 were detained due to their anti-apartheid activities. In 1985, President P.W. Botta declared a state of emergency as political protests and calls for the release of political prisoners grew. In 1987, the political process to bring an end to the apartheid system began. This paved the way for further talks that culminated in South Africa's transition to a democracy in 1994. Welcome back. I trust that you enjoyed that and found it as informative as I did. Fascinating pieces of information coming out of that insert. But now the moment we've all been waiting for, our special guest. He is the founder and executive director of the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, ACCORD. He is a lawyer, mediator, and is an experienced conflict management practitioner and trainer, having served on various um, government commissions and independent and bodies. From anti-apartheid student leader to leading conflict management trainer, our, our guest is the realized hope personified of the post-apartheid South Africa. It gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Vasu Gandhan. Vasu, thank you so much for joining me today. I am ecstatic to be sharing a cup of coffee with you this morning. Thank you, Zoe. Well, I could not resist the temptation of being invited for coffee. I'm so glad you could make it. Um, but I would like for us to get right into the conversation. Um, could you please briefly um, contextualize for us your tenure as the president um, of the as the SRC president rather of UDW and so far as what the political landscape was like at the time? So, Zoe, firstly, for our international guests, SRC is the Student Representative Council, and these are the student bodies at uh, universities, and uh, UDW was the University of Durban-Westville, one of 18 universities in South Africa. Uh, I was the president of the Student Council during the state of emergency. As many of you will know, uh, we had... Uh, uh, quite a violent apartheid state governing South Africa and around 1985-86, uh, which was the height of resistance inside the country, the state uh, imposed a state of emergency and of course uh, we came out in protest in our millions across the country uh, and as a student leader I led uh, uh, my student body together with other student bodies across the country uh, in protest against the emergency legislation, and we met with the brutality of the apartheid regime. Well, so that's quite the history um, and quite a fascinating time and a very difficult time, um, you know, to, to come out against the state. I'm sure it was an, an incredibly um, brave um, thing of you to do. Um, but I'd like for you to speak a little bit about um, your experiences as a student leader. And, um, you know, you became a, a, an esteemed um, conflict management practitioner and, and uh, a mediator following um, your tenure as a student activist. What lessons um, from your time as a student leader um, have you brought in um, to the work that you do today? I think, you know, Zoe, that's an interesting question because 
in many ways, my work today is informed by uh, my student activism in those days. And, you know, if we take, for example, today, the Sudanese revolution, and you see that there were thousands of students on the street with other professionals uh, and uh, other political parties, political leaders. But when you look at, uh, you know, revolutions, whether it is in Sudan or whether it was the Arab Spring, sometimes we tend to criticize those who are on the street. Uh, and uh, we, we look at these protests, sometimes they can get violent. And then uh, people are weary of the violence that uh, uh, protesters resort to. Uh, and I think uh, having been in that position where I did lead thousands of students on the street, uh, where we had to meet uh, the police and their brutality, and we had to respond. And sometimes we had to respond uh, in ways that others might have considered uh, violent. But uh, that experience allows me today to empathize with those who are on the street, the protesters, and to be able to at least see both sides uh, in a conflict and understand where they're coming from. So I think without having that experience, you know, I, I might not have been in the same position of being able to empathize with the different protagonists in a conflict situation today. 100%. I think I, I definitely agree with you um, on, on a lot of the points that you've said. Um, I mean, as we were introducing you, we said you were the personified hope of the democratic South Africa. And, and you spoke about... That's quite a tall country. order. <laughs> I think you fill it just, quite nice. Just repeat that slowly. What did you say? I said you are the personified hope of a democratic South Africa. And, you know, and I'm saying this and the reason I'm, we're, we've said this um, from the Coffee with the Court team is, you know, as you spoke about um, police brutality and, and the violence that was on the ground and, you know, you had to be reactionary to, um, you know, a lot of uh, the, the tactics that the police were using mm. um, against you. And, you know, I think South Africans and South Africa as a whole had quite a lot of potential to be an angry and violent country. And yet you chose the exact opposite. You went into conflict resolution. You went into peace building. Um, you went into, you know, so peace, uh, peacemaking. So that is, you know, quite the turnaround. Um, and that was the realized hope, I would I would say, um, of a, a democratic South Africa. And I think you fit that, uh, that order um, quite nicely. Um, so am I getting a yes? Well, look, I mean, <laughs> as I said, you know, I, I wrote it down here, personified hope of a democratic South Africa. Yeah, I think in many ways, you know, the thousands of uh, young people who stood against uh, the uh, brutal uh, security system of the apartheid regime, who survived it because many didn't survive it, uh, I think they all represent the personified hope of a democratic uh, South Africa. The fact, really, that, you know, when you think of what we went through, when the thousands of people who died, people were tortured, people were incarcerated, uh, you know, Mandela became the symbol of all of this and of everybody who, who suffered. And in, in, in a sense, he personified the, the suffering of uh, the thousands of uh, South Africans. And to emerge out of that and still talk about reconciliation and talk about 
negotiation. That's the hope, I think, that, uh, you know, we don't only hope for South Africa, but we hope for all of Africa, all of the world, uh, and particular to, uh, particularly today, when we have so many challenges across the world, we're about to enter one of the most challenging decades in the history of humanity, where we are going to see so much of tension and conflict across the world that we need more people to be the personification uh, of hope in a new world. Absolutely. Absolutely. I definitely agree um, with your sentiments. Um, you know, I think there are numerous examples um, of, you know, the personified hope um, of the democratic South Africa. And um, that's why you're here. You're one of those examples. And <laughs> so again, thank you for, for joining us and, and coming to share with us um, all of your experiences. But, you know, just picking up from the fact that you, you're talking about this upcoming decade um, being, you know, one of um, what could be seen as um, a lot of protracted um, conflict and violence. Um, I'd like for you to share with us um, three key lessons which you've learned over the years um, that you think will be beneficial to this new generation of conflict management practitioners, and um, particularly current students who find themselves involved in protests such as Fees Must Fall and Roads Must Fall. I mean, look, every uh, generation has its own cause. And uh, I think the first lesson is that we must respect that. Uh, so whether it is roads must fall or fees must fall, uh, those who are out on the streets, the activists who are out on the streets, believe in that cause and they, they you know, they are passionate about it. Uh, they have a grievance and they have to be listened to. So I think the first lesson is respect uh, the views of other people. The, the, the second lesson, I think, is that uh, there is always room for dialogue. We don't always have to resort to violence. Yes, you know, even if we are met with violence, it does not mean that we have to, at the same time, contribute to increased violence. We should always be looking for uh, ways to dialogue, uh, ways to resolve disputes peacefully. And that takes me, I think, uh, to the third lesson. There's always two sides to a story. If ever I've learned anything, uh, in my days as a student leader, as a political activist, as a lawyer for human rights activist, and then as a conflict uh, mediator, is that there's always two sides to a story. And, uh, you know, you need to uh, understand that uh, when you hear one party, it's not the full story. Uh, it may be the truth, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think we can discount the fact that what people are saying is the truth. But sometimes there are always, uh, uh, you know, there's another truth. Uh, and we have to listen to everybody's truth to be able to decide impartially uh, what is the real challenge, conflict, problem, so that we were able to resolve it. You know, I just want to quickly pick up on um, something that you were saying, um, you know, if you were talking about the fact that even when you're met with violence, um, you know, you don't have to um, necessarily respond with uh, with violence. Um, I think a lot of people might say to you, but Vasu, um, you know, violence was one of the ways that we were able to force the state, um, you know, into the democratic uh, process. Um, I think a lot of students now might also say, you know, we're met with so much uh, police brutality, um, you know, what other way 
can we get institutions and the government um, to, to listen to our grievances um, if we don't burn down buildings and if we don't make those types of symbolic statements? And how do you respond to that? Well, uh, Zoe, firstly, I must confess uh, on this wonderful coffee that I'm having with you here at Accord that uh, I was uh, in 1985, 86, I think it was, uh, charged with public violence because I led uh, a student demonstration and uh, it resulted in damage to a security building. Let me put it very diplomatically. And uh, of course, I was arrested and uh, I stood trial for an entire year uh, for public violence, which carried a sentence of five years imprisonment. Uh, this was under the apartheid uh, laws. Fortunately, I was uh, acquitted. And I have to say that there is a lesson in that acquittal also, because there was a my uh, witness who came uh, you know, to testify in my favor was a white male Africana professor of religious studies. Uh, and in those days, in the apartheid hierarchy, someone like him would have sat at the top of the apartheid hierarchy. But the point here is that not every white South African was a proponent of the apartheid system. There were many who were sympathizers and active uh, participants in the struggle against apartheid. So I think, you know, that, that was a lesson in there. So let me say, why not violence today? Why not uh, destroying the infrastructure today when in fact I did that as a student leader and I led thousands? Why would I ask people not to do that today? Because for one simple reason is that we are today in a democratic dispensation, a democratic country where there are avenues where you can go and uh, raise your objections, voice your uh, dissatisfaction. Uh, you have the opportunity to elect people to a national parliament, to provincial parliaments. So there are many avenues. Now, does that mean that politicians always listen? No. And that's a lesson for the politicians also, is that, you know, they're not a law unto themselves, they're not God incarnate, and that they have to listen to people. They're elected by the people. They are public servants. That's what they are. And so they also have to not just uh, ensure that you have the institutions, but they must ensure that the institutions become the living experience of the people they have been elected to serve. So you need it on both sides. You know, if you just have students who get up one day and start smashing down buildings without first raising their objections, then that is wrong. They need to raise their objections. And those who should be listening should be listening to them. If those who don't listen, well, then, of course, I think, uh, you know, not that violence is ever justified, but, uh, you know, those who are angry will turn to violence. So we need to ensure that all of these conflicts are uh, mitigated in a way that they are resolved through dialogue and they don't escalate to a point where violence is engaged in and then it becomes just a no-win battle uh, from all sides. Absolutely. Um, thanks for that. And now I just want to ask you, what gives you hope um, for the current well, the Zoe, movement? Yes. Zoe, can I interrupt you? 
sure. I know that this coffee, I know the coffee is not supplied by Accord, but you know, it would have been great if it was bottomless coffee. <laughs> anyway, continue. <laughs> We'll make sure that the producers are aware going forward. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that pointer. <laughs> um, I just want to ask you, uh, what gives you hope um, for the current and future students' movements of South Africa and the African continent as a whole? Well, I mean, firstly, as you know, we also have the Global Peace Project at Accord, where we have been doing intergenerational dialogues across the world. And we have concluded a hundred intergenerational dialogues in a hundred cities across the world. I have attended not all of the dialogues, but at least I would think the majority of those dialogues. And I've been e able to interact across Africa, across the world, with young people like yourself, uh, Zoe. And I have to say, I was extremely inspired by the, firstly, the social consciousness, because, you know, one expects in this uh, world of consumerism and accumulation and where the role models are those who, you know, have, uh, uh, have toys and things like big cars and big houses. And, uh, you know, we tend to glorify those who have uh, uh, capital or have wealth and uh, uh, who accumulate all of these uh, trappings of, uh, a society driven by consumerism and you would think that in that society not many young people actually have the opportunity uh, or are nurtured in a way that they develop a social consciousness but I have to say that in those dialogues I've been amazed at uh, the level of social consciousness uh, including yourself and your, your, your colleagues uh, Zoe you know uh, you have a level of social consciousness that gives us hope you know, and uh, in many ways, you know, you guys would be uh, personified hope of a, of a democratic world, of, of a better world. So I, I have, you know, a lot of confidence. I, I think, yes, everybody, myself included, as a young person, you go through a particular phase. Uh, it's a wonderful phase because it's the time when you learn to question society. Uh, and, and that's what we should be doing is question our society, uh, and then you evolve through all of that, and, and that's the passage to leadership. Uh, and it's uh, better for the world, and we hope that that passage to leadership includes a social consciousness, and that's what I think gives me hope that even with young people in South Africa today, there is a high level of politicization, high level of social consciousness, and that can only bode well for the country in the future. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, Vasu, for joining us. You are just such a wealth of knowledge and expertise. It was such a pleasure to have you with us today. Um, that was Dr. Vasu Gounden, founder and executive director at the African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, a truly remarkable and accomplished leader. Such an honor to have a cup of coffee with him. That concludes today's segment of Coffee with the Cord. Thank you all so very much for joining us um, and we hope that you found our conversation as invigorating as your cup of coffee that was all for me um, this is Zoe Mafoko thank you for watching today's episode of Coffee with a Board do not forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you can receive notifications every time we post a new episode 
For more updates, like our Facebook page, African Center for the Constructive Resolution of Disputes, or follow us on Twitter or on Instagram at Accord Online. To learn more about Accord, visit our website www.accord.org.za.